Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Is your dad? I'm afraid so, son. What, what happened? Your dad called 911. Said his wife fell down the stairs. Jim, it don't look like an accident. How much blood? Like the woman's head exploded. Mr. Peterson, the house has now been declared a crime scene. It's a witch hunt. Revenge, Bill. That's what this is. One piece of advice. Keep your family close. You'll need them on your side. Chances are you're already familiar with this story. On December 9th, 2001, novelist Michael Peterson called 911 with a frantic plea. His wife, Kathleen, had fallen down the stairs at their Durham, North Carolina home. She was unconscious. By the time the police and emergency services arrived, Kathleen Peterson was dead. And the walls and floor of the staircase where she was found were covered in her blood. Investigators immediately suspected homicide. Before the night was over, Michael Peterson was the prime suspect in her murder. And at the time of this podcast recording in 2022, we still don't know exactly what happened that Sunday night. But we do know one thing about the Peterson case. It kicked off America's true crime obsession. Michael Peterson's saga has been featured in countless podcasts and the topic of water cooler conversations everywhere, mostly thanks to The Staircase, an in-depth documentary series that first aired in 2004 and spans nearly 17 years. Now it's an eight-part scripted limited series on HBO Max, featuring the talents of Colin Firth, Tony Collette, Michael Stuhlbarg, Juliette Binoche, Sophie Turner, and Parker Posey, among many others. My name is Nancy Miller. I'm a longtime magazine editor and journalist, best known among true crime fans, as helping Michelle McNamara bring her obsession with the Golden State Killer to light in Los Angeles Magazine. I was also the host of the official companion podcast to the documentary series made about Michelle and the Golden State Killer, All Be Gone in the Dark. And now I'm here as host of the official companion podcast for the HBO Max original series, The Staircase. Each week, I'll sit down with special guests from the show, as well as outside experts who can shed some light on this whole saga, and maybe, more importantly, explain why so many of us are still obsessed with what happened at the bottom of the stairs that night. And... While it should go without saying, this is a companion podcast, which means it's best enjoyed after you've watched the first episode. Because while you may think you know everything there is to know about the Michael Peterson saga, I promise you, there are a lot of surprises in store. 
Today on the official Staircase Companion podcast, I'll be speaking with executive producer, showrunner, writer, and the director of most of the episodes, Antonio Campos, who you may know from his directorial work on the TV series The Sinner and his most recent film, The Devil All the Time. Later, I'll be joined by Academy Award-nominated actress Toni Collette, who plays Kathleen Peterson, to chat about taking on such a tragic role. Antonio Campos, writer, director, showrunner, and executive producer of the series. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're going to start from the beginning. And by that, I mean the very beginning, beginning of the first episode. Mm -hmm. There is a really important quote that I want to make sure that we emphasize. Mm -hmm. And in most retellings of documentary true crime stories, what you see in the beginning of a title is inspired by true events, you know, Uh, based on a true story, but that's not the case here. It's actually scripture from the Gospel of John. I feel like it's the key to understanding this series. It's the Gospel according to John, 1837. I was born for this. I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth, listen to my voice. Truth, said Pilate, what is that? It was the first thing I wrote for the pilot because it kind of was, in a lot of ways, the thesis of yes. what I realized. With the, After working on this thing for years, I realized that this was kind of the way to start it. Just to sort of set the scene of what's happening here, you have someone who is persecuted. Who is, I'm certainly not thinking that you're suggesting Michael Peterson is Jesus. But <laughs> no. let's let's talk about why this, this was the thing that was the excerpt there or quote that that inspired the series so i guess i'll go back yeah. to the very beginning of my relationship with this story the series itself is very much um is is, is reflective of my experience with the staircase uh i was sent the first eight hours, the first eight episodes, which were all that existed in 2008. I was sent a DVD Mm -hmm. by a producer who had seen my first feature um, and thought I might be interested in the idea of adapting the Staircase documentary into a feature. And um, I watched it and I was hooked. It was Christmas of 2008 and I watched it, I think, in one sitting, all eight episodes. And in the very beginning, I convinced myself that by becoming an expert, by <laughs> getting every book I could get on blood spatter and every like I, I, every kind of detective book I could, could buy, I thought if I could become an expert and learn those things and then apply what I learned to looking at the evidence in this case, that I somehow would crack it. You're get, and, there are about a million people listening going, same, same, yeah, same, they're like, not, no, nodding, yeah, same, yeah, same. Mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's how you do it. Right. And I, over the years, the story had developed even more. And, <laughs> and there was another big turn, another big twist. And I was like, okay, well, now this is the end. <laughs> and there's still more to learn. And so I said, okay, well, I gotta, now I got I to gotta account for this new ending. And I got to account for the new things that I've learned. And, and okay, but now I'll, now I'll figure it out because now I have even more information. And then the years went on and, and I just realized, well, there's too much story here. I need, yeah. to, I need to do this as a series, I think. 
And then <laughs> I started that process around 2015 or 2016. And then there was another More, big twist. Yep. I was like, okay, well, now there's an, this is another part of the story. And along, I'm still kind of going, okay, well, I'm going to just keep – I now I'm definitely going to crack it because I've been looking at this evidence for so long. But what I realized, I was like, oh, wait, no. I'm never going to crack it through the evidence. I, I may never crack it, but but looking at the evidence is the wrong wrong way to go. I really just need to do what I'm doing naturally, which is just kind of becoming more and more interested in the people and the dynamics uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and who they are. And that maybe if I could understand what happened before and what happened after and where we are now, if I could kind of experience, maybe if the audience could experience what I experienced having lived through these, what I saw as three different stories within one big story, that maybe then I'll have a better understanding. (laughs) What I realized, though, is no matter where I got to, and this was a huge moment for me, was that even if I figure this thing out, I'll never know the truth. The truth of what happened that night is way more complicated than just what happened that night. And so the idea of the truth itself became something that I was like, oh, that's a main ingredient to the story. What is truth? And Let's start to explore that. Staring at the blood spatter was staring at a Rorschach. I saw one thing and somebody else saw something completely different. And you see that across the board with this story. One person will look at that that crime scene and say definitively that it was this. And another person will see the same crime scene and say definitively it was that. Yes. And they will they will have two very different ways of arriving at their conclusions. And in their minds, those that is the truth. And so at the end of the day, with this thing, why the staircase to me was such an important kind of true crime story to, to continue to explore and dissect and deconstruct and put back together was because I think it got to the essence of what I find interesting about true crime, which is how much it exposes yes. and st- how much mystery still remains because that is what the staircase is. Well, and what's more, <laughs> what happens right afterwards is that Pontius Pilate says, I'm going to wash my hands of this whole thing. It's not up for me to decide. <laughs> and he right. says, I'll let the crowd decide. The crowd says, crucify him. So I was wondering, is this an additional sort of, I don't know if it's an indictment or a statement of a true crime audience. Yeah, no, maybe it is. It is a statement. It is an indictment to all of us for for trying to to thinking that we are we are all truth finders and that we can that we can sit from the comfort of our own homes and um, either indemnify or crucify the people on these screens. I started going nuts with people being certain. <laughs> I really have a hard time with certainty uh-huh. because I, when people are so convinced of something and they will fight you on it, people are like, he's guilty, he's innocent. People were so convinced one way or another. I kind of just enjoyed sitting back and just sort of listening. I, at this point, I don't engage in that conversation. I just kind of, when people ask me, I just sit back and allow them to talk <laughs> or allow them to have an argument with somebody else in the room because. To me, I just like to ask questions. I think that if you ask, if you keep asking questions, maybe you arrive at something that's closer to what the truth is. 
Well, and I think this helped set up the series for people who are watching where we won't be seeing a chronological retelling of the story with suggestions of what really happened, but that it's saying what you believe to be truth is actually what you've enjoyed as a narrative, first as the documentary series, and now here we are in this story. That's kind of what it has to be, because this was, this was not an easy thing to push up a hill. As much of a no-brainer as it might seem like, oh, well, this is a very well-known documentary and it's got a, it's right. got a built-in audience or whatever. Like, it was not an easy thing to get made because it was it's, – it's complicated. You know, it's not a very – it's not like, oh, this is just a juicy story. It's got a lot of twists and turns, but it's ultimately complicated. And sometimes people wanted me to end the story very much like he did or he didn't do it. Yes. And I said, great. <laughs> gets good, but that's not how this show or this film ends. And so that that was kind of the end of that version of it. And when I did figure out the big structural idea, which was that there were these three different timelines running concurrently, it's just like, well, this just has to be a series. What I'd love is for people to be pulled in various directions and go from feeling um, certain to feeling very uncertain. When Maggie and I set out to sort of do these depictions, it became we became very obsessed with how much we could try and replicate. And that's and, Maggie Cohn, your Maggie co-writer. Cohn, my mm-hmm. co co showrunner on this, and and so you know we really became obsessed with that. Like, well, you know, we couldn't we couldn't replicate it exactly. And we had to accept that because no matter like we we rep, we 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 recreated the staircase, um, we took measurements from the actual 1810 seater, we rebuilt the staircase on a stage, we we made uh, a green screen staircase for the depictions. Uh, we got obsessive with like differences between you know matter of inches and it's yeah. centimeters and millimeters, and had to redo things to try and get it back to what was the correct dimensions but then it was like well Kathleen Peterson was 5'2 and Tony Collette's 5'8 and right. that changes a lot so we had to go okay well you know we can essentially recreate the scenario but the actual spots where there was blood spatter we we will never get that exact that is it's there's too many variables involved uh that we just had to accept that it was like we just needed to get a certain quantity of blood and then allow for the audience to fill in the blanks. And the things that we knew, the things that we could um, recreate or replicate, we felt obligated to do so. Because I think in sort of even acknowledging the complexity of truth, you have to, you have to also acknowledge the things that are known. So you put, you put a certain emphasis on accuracy in context. Yes. And then from there, you sort of built a creative narrative so people can understand that this is a work of fiction. Yes, but it's with a spine or lungs or liver, I don't know, vital organs that are based in truth. Beautifully said, Nancy. (laughs) Amazing. You should just, I would rather hear you (laughs) talk about the show. 
I was thinking, how do I describe this series to somebody? I think as audiences, we've gotten so like spoiled with the incredible television that people may not understand how complicated it is to create various timelines, through lines, also kind of lay the seeds for this, the circumstances that are going to lead to someone's death. And I was like, it's kind of like a, a Rubik's Cube that can travel through time. Because you could have easily just taken a, a simpler path, Antonio, and said, I'm going to retell this and we're going to do a meta thing with the documentary and we're going to start from the beginning and it's going to be totally satisfying. So yeah. why, why take the hard way? Why do the multiple timelines and layers, especially as someone who has to think about shooting the thing and then getting it all to connect? It was only interesting to me if it was, if it was complicated. The stories in general that I like to tell are ones that are complicated and have mm -hmm. multiple layers and um, do not have characters that are easy to to pin as one thing or another. It just felt from the beginning that there was not an easy way to tell the story and that the fun part would be trying to to wrestle it. Talk to me about including Kathleen as a character. You could have easily started with her death like the documentary did and told the story from that point but you didn't why it's so often in true crime stories and mysteries that the victim or the deceased depending on how yes. you see this uh you know they're just a image kind of like a, a, a specter right. in the story and they're not a voice that was so important to try and understand Kathleen. So again, it went from evidence to the people and to the people involved. And that just, that that took time. And I'm so happy that it took as long as it did because I think that if I, if I had made it as a movie 13 years ago, it just wouldn't be as interesting. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right. I want to address the scene in this episode in which the entire family is sitting around the dinner table. They obviously love each other and they're having a good time. And yet there's something else going on under the surface. Like something's not quite right here. I was interested in family dynamics and the idea of the dinner table not representing what is actually going on. And that the, the all the little things <laughs> around the dinner are are telling you more about what's really going on than the dinner. The dinner is the nice stuff and it's everybody being nice to each other and and that's what it's about. But, you know, that dinner scene is then kind of echoed throughout, you know, how that image of all of them around the table evolves and devolves over the course of the series is something that we explore. But yeah, it really became this sort of like key sequence to the whole series. And in a lot of ways, it felt like a good way to, if not explain, 
clearly to the audience who everybody was mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. family. Um, I as I mean, what I mean is who everybody is related to, you know, how people are related to each other, because it's a complicated family dynamic. At least you would understand that we're that there were three factions: that there were the Petersons, the Ratliffs, and the Atwaters, and that the Petersons were the boys. And that there were two girls that were the Ratliffs, and then there was Kathleen and Caitlin, and they were the Atwaters. And that somehow they had formed this one family. It's not just that this family was rotten from the beginning. No, it was there was just stuff under the surface, like there is with every family. And Kathleen's death kind of just opened up the wound. And it just the dam burst. We talked a little bit earlier about it's it's a it's a fictional story, but there are certain things that seem really important that you got in the narrative as these anchor points. I, I've watched these episodes, and there's no wasted dialogue. There's no wasted throwaway moments. Um, so, can you just talk a little bit about that? And I know it's a huge question of how you kind of make this balance between storytelling, fact, and what you need to create, to tell the story. One of the, and I think you're going to talk to him, or you're, you may have already talked to him, Michael Matthews, our series researcher. Yeah, we'll be speaking with Ma- Michael Matthews in an upcoming episode. Michael is a, a wonderful person, and he was in the writer's room for almost the entirety of the, I think, I don't know, three or four months that we were in this Zoom writer's room. He was always there, quietly listening and if we started to stray too far with an idea or it felt like we were taking too many liberties with something, he would sometimes just kind of like raise his hand and say, well, that's that that's a little bit too far away from what happened. And so Michael was really helpful in trying to, you know, he was just very, um, became very familiar with the facts. And he kept building and building this database of research. And so, you know, he was a huge asset because he could say, he could say, well, here's a bunch of stuff that I just learned. uh, And now writers go process that and see what comes out. Or he could say, that's very different than what what really happened or what we know and and might suggest something, another way to look at it. And that was really helpful. But, you know, at the end of the day, we had to take creative liberties because if we didn't, we couldn't create a drama. Um, and the only thing that I can say to that is that at the the end of the day, though, the essence of what's there uh, when it comes to a character or when it comes to a story point is probably 99.9% based on something. You know, mm-hmm. it comes from something we learned. And then from there, we would let that fuel us creatively and see where that went. This is inspired by a true story. We're working with real events and real people. But at the end of the day, make it personal. Mm-hmm. And if you make it personal, it'll... It, it it will resonate more and actually will probably feel more truthful. So something that I think people will be talking a lot about is casting. We have Colin Firth, who up until this moment was kind of like my emotional safe space. We now have him playing 
an accused murderer. Please help me understand what made you look at the the brown, warm eyes of Colin Firth and his reputation yeah. as an actor and think, yeah, he could be a killer. You know, it's it's funny. I just I don't I don't sort of set out to try and um, cast against type. I just really um, there's there's a certain amount of luck and fortune and who crosses paths with you and who comes to mind in a certain moment. But it's ultimately like who is a great actor and who uh-huh. is who really wants to do something with the role. Colin is a brilliant actor and and I knew that he could bring the complexity that we needed for Michael Peterson. I mean, in so many ways, we saw this as story as almost like a Greek tragedy or a Shakespearean yes. tragedy. And it felt like having an actor of that level, um, a Shakespearean actor, could bring the complexity that we needed for this character. And I will say it always helps when you have an actor who does um, exude a certain, certain warmth or people have very warm feelings about to play a character like Michael, who people have very conflicted feelings about. It balances it oh, out yeah, in a way yeah. that really helps the audience connect. We had many, many conversations and he really found his way into it because Michael is not an easy character to figure out. And that's partially why I was always fascinated by him, that he was kind of yes impenetrable and, and Colin recognized that and he he embraced that and he had to play moment by moment in order to 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 become this character to be this person it is uncanny the way that he can inhabit Michael Peterson yeah. we'll be speaking with him later actually in the podcast but i'm curious for you if you had any direction for him like watch all of the documentaries and get on the phone with Michael or was it did you have anything that you were going to guide him so that he could play this character, own the character, uh, and still be sort of true to himself? From the very beginning of this project, from when I started it 12 years ago, I knew that whoever was cast as Michael, I would say to them, you decide whether or not you think he did it. And you decide or figure out in your mind what happened. And then we'll never talk about it. And I will never know what you think. And I won't necessarily tell you what I think. And I think that one of the most important things a director can do um, is imbue the actor with um, ownership. Antonio, am I allowed to ask him when we interview him later? Am I allowed to ask him what he decided? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm. I'm okay. Absolutely, go for it. I don't know if he's going to answer it. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to say, but because he people... might not, he might not answer. He might be cagey <laughs> about it. Um, but you know, we still don't really talk about it, um, which is fine because I hate that conversation. <laughs> sure. Well, all right. So, but let me let me just get this out of the way then, because you've spent 12 years. I think I heard that you were actually in the courthouse in 2011. I, I remember that trip vividly my uh producing partner at the time and i were down in durham and we were staying at a uh holiday inn 
and he would drop me off in the morning to court. He was too, he just was not interested in sitting in a court. He'd draw me off like a parent, like, okay, I'll see you later. And then I come I come back to the hotel and he was just like sitting around with a pizza box on the bed. And I oh my God, today was crazy. Candace Amperini did this and you know, I saw John Xavier took me to visit eighteen ten Cedar. Um but yeah, no, if you watch episode nine of the documentary, okay. I'm in the background holding a blackberry <laughs> recording uh candace as she um delivers her speech that day was one of those days where you witness something that is as dramatic if not more dramatic than what you saw in the documentary which is when candace got up there because to see someone confront who they are convinced is their sister's killer and look at them in the eyes and call them out for that and plead and get emotional in front of an audience to stop what's happening um, is very moving. And uh, and it puts it in perspective. These are just people that are in these very public spaces having to live this out in front of um, an audience. Since you were there in 2011, did that give you an opportunity and access to Michael Peterson, to David Rudolph, um, that would be unique and benefit you later? Yeah, I mean, I I had really avoided, or I had, I had never made the, the move to talk to Michael until 2020, when we started the writer's room. I thought by then, like 12 years later, I had some perspective and I could I could do it without it affecting my my perspective uh my perception of things i actually met david rudolph in 2009 um at park city in at the sundance film festival i was there with a film and he has a house in park city and jean xavier had introduced us and i had lunch with him there and we talked about the case for the first time you know but but having access to david rudolph was yeah really helpful because i could ask him questions he could give me some perspective you know the thing the thing that i i learned over the course of working on this was that you know you have to take everything people tell you with a grain of salt because they're always trying to get you to see the thing the way that they see it mm. and to interpret the information the way that they've interpreted it and so um you can't rely just on one source last year as we were shooting we talked to Jim Harden as well who was a district attorney at the time and then later became judge we'll find out judge he's a, yeah he was a yeah he's a judge and he i just retired um you know Jim Harden had his experience and feels very strongly about you know Michael being guilty um and David Rudolph feels very strongly that Michael isn't and they're both approaching all the evidence with that as their center. So if we were to look at your filmography, you frequently deal with crime and murder and the dark underbelly of society. Why is that? What's going on there? I, I just tend to be fascinated by the dark places. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm interested in in these things, not to glorify them, but more to, in some ways, to 
for me myself to confront myself with it and to conf and to for it's sort of the work itself is confronting and saying look at it then i think the true crime era is very much is very much fueled by that fascination with the dark side with the blood and guts and i think that what's special about the staircase it stands out because it is very restrained compared to the other documentaries of its like that have come after it. All right, let's talk a little bit more about what you just said. That you're interested in showing humanity's dark places, but you're not interested in glorifying them. I get it. But it must be kind of a tightrope to walk when the dark places you are showing us actually happened. In general, it's all about okay, this stuff exists. Like, either Kathleen died from a fall or she was beaten. If we're going to recreate that, then we, we owe it to the audience to portray it as realistically as we can. But we also owe it to the audience to not glorify it. When you're dealing with this subject and and real people and commenting on them, I think you... You just have to play it in a certain way. I don't know if this is something that can be explained in logic or if it's just more of a feeling, but there is a like a car scene towards the end of the this episode where Michael finds out he's going to be indicted and the sort of family is going to sort of I think he's turning himself in. I can't I'll you can tell me, but there's basically this cavalcade of cars. And there's this sort of overhead shot that is a, like stunning piece of filmmaking. It's this overhead shot that gets down like over the car and then into the front of the windshield where Michael is in this vehicle on his way to the courthouse. Um Am I just enjoying some really beautifully executed, well-budgeted filmmaking? Or is there something that, as the filmmaker, you can help me understand? Um, it's So in the script, I had just written, you know, the car's drive to courthouse. And um, I was like, you know, it's just, it can't just be that. It's not just that. What is this moment? And this idea of, being high up above, which had been a, a thing that we had talked about early on in the show. It was in the scripts, kind of like these big overheads. And I just saw the I saw the caravan um, of cars leaving 1810 Cedar Street. And I thought, well, this is the last moment, really, that they're all together. Because Michael's going to get out, and at that point, there's going to start being a sort of... Um, the, the, fraction, the factions are going to start forming. So I, I just saw this big image of the three cars together, but they were also separate. They were each in a different car. So it was a way in my mind of communicating that they're all together, but they're all going through their own thing. My last sort of thought that I think people are left with, and I'm not even sure how to pose this as a question. It's just almost this like gasp. As you see in the you know final moments of this episode, this mysterious woman in white, it's Juliette Binoche, it's 2017, you know, Michael Peterson's getting dressed for an important court date, as we'll soon see, 
And she's this new woman in his life. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone as we move forward, because there's a lot that American audiences don't know that maybe other audiences in other countries do. But this was one hell of a cliffhanger. That's good. That's good. So what is this tease that you've brought to us that we are we are going to try and furiously Google and wrap our heads around um, while we anticipate the next episode of the show? I mean, I would just say don't Google if you can avoid it, um, because it's much more satisfying to experience it at the show. We know the question of did he or didn't he do it, but that's not what the show's necessarily interested in. It's interested in this guy and how where he ends up and how he got to, how we get to where it is. So it felt like, as opposed to ending on an image where it's like we're looking at him and we're asking the question of who are we looking at a killer or not, it's wait, how does how how do we get to where we get to and where are we going with this story? And it just indicates to the audience that this this story is not your typical true crime story and it's interested in other things besides uh, innocent or guilt. And um, and that's that's why the pilot ends the way it does. And on that note, I, I want to implore listeners to please listen to the creator of the series, the man who has been following this story for 12 years, to not Google. Avoid looking things up online. Don't self-spoil, by all means. And I think you're also going to get the best answers here on the podcast. So thank you so much, Antonio Campos, for joining us. No, it's such a pleasure. Thank you, Nancy. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, me too. If you enjoy this conversation with Antonio Campos, don't worry. We're going to hear a lot from him in future episodes. But right now, we're going to move focus to one of the incredible performances in the series. Tony Collette, who talks pretty frankly about the unique challenges and pressures of playing Kathleen Peterson and ensuring that Kathleen is seen here as much more than a victim. Tony Clit, thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of the podcast. Total pleasure. So happy to be here with you. Okay, so we're in the first episode of this series, and one of the most unexpected and I think the most poignant departures of the documentary is that we finally get to meet Kathleen Peterson in what feels like real life, who you play in the show. So I'm curious, how did you come to the role of playing Kathleen Peterson? Look, I got a call and I was told that Antonio wanted me to play Kathleen out of the blue. It always amazes me when these calls come out of the blue that someone's <laughs> even thinking of you. Um, and I didn't really know about The Staircase. I'd heard of it, I hadn't seen it. So once I kind of familiarised myself with it, it made me a little nervous. I, my question was, why? Why would you retell this story? Uh, because yes. I certainly didn't want to, you know, fan Michael Peterson's flame if he was, in fact, guilty. I finally found myself thinking that um, actually the point of the retelling of it is that it is a much more balanced perspective and it's much more inclusive of Kathleen. Yes. And that actually it's... As much as it is about her death, it's maybe a little more about the breakdown of a marriage. And um, and so I found it really um, much more of an exciting idea than an intimidating idea. There's a huge responsibility in playing somebody real. 
There somehow seems to yes. be a bigger responsibility in playing someone who, who is now no longer with us, um, right. especially given all of the conjecture and knowledge about their lives and what may or may not have happened. So um, ultimately I, I was really excited to be able to kind of bring her to life. There, there really wasn't that much information about her um, mm -hmm. and in a way I think it was a bit more freeing for me because um, everybody else was playing someone who really existed but my character was not around to judge me. <laughs> That's really interesting because I imagine there's a, a fear that you are trying to render someone that who is really significant in a story but whom none of us have ever met. Mm, yeah. I mean, ult ultimately you just have to try to bring some kind of honesty to the essence of her, to the idea of someone. Right. And along the way you manage to kind of cobble together a person that someone, you know, the audience will hopefully believe in. But, you know, whether or I had seen The Staircase or not, the scripts that were sent to me were so incredibly written, so brilliant, so complex and whole and rich and it was it was very apparent just how special it was. So I, I you know, I really wanted to do it and work with, with both Antonio and Colin. Right, and he had a an opposing challenge. There's abundant footage of Michael Peterson. People have very strong opinions of what he's about. Now, you had something freeing in not having a, a, a person that people had expectations to represent as a character, but at the same time you were sort of existing then with what? What did you have to look at? Did you connect with the family? Were there photographs or any types of any material that you were able to access? Well, as I said, the scripts, honestly, were just so informative. Maggie and Tony uh -huh. were just so steeped in the story that they their knowledge was ridiculous. Um, they really became... Uh, you know, ref, you know, living, breathing reference points for not only me, but I think for everybody. Uh, there were a couple of home videos that Tony emailed to me before I even got to Atlanta. And there was, you know, they were very small moments, but they were kind of very informative and quite telling, just dynamically. Just um, So one was Christmas Day and Kathleen was sitting on Michael's lap and all the kids were there and she was kind of sitting there she just looked like a little bird with her little you know she was often seen with this coffee cup and she was sipping away mm -hmm. and she kind of just had this I don't know the energy between the two of them was very specific and very um strong and it almost seemed inappropriate around the kids even if it weren't this job if there's a source material that if it's a film or tv show whatever I'm working on if it, that it's based on I rarely look at the source material because I have to consider the scripts as my Bible. That's the world that we're creating and other information can confuse, get in the way or kind of make it, make it kind of bleed out in a way. Um, so um, that's really all I, it's really all I needed. They were complex enough. Given how tough the subject matter is in this series, what was the atmosphere like on set? Antonio created the most incredible atmosphere. We, we, we did create a kind of family vibe. We often found ourselves on weekends at his house and he would be cooking up these big meals and we all really genuinely liked each other and wanted to hang out together. And I think that energy really translated to what you see on screen. I think some of my favorite scenes are those which are just these kind of humble, everyday, kind of domestic people, you know, moving around each other in the house, just getting on with their lives. Those, 
those moments are actually quite fascinating to me. Um, I think what you're saying adds this rich element to the Peterson family saga is that Kathleen holds the family together, you know, in a lot of ways. And so when she dies, the family comes apart for a number of reasons. But how did you see her and her role in the family? Family and, and all of those relationships were the most important thing to her. She, she was much more emotionally available to those kids than Michael ever was or will be. She was just had so much heart and so much love for them and was supportive in every way, you know, financially, emotionally, just giving them all kinds of stability. She was just wearing so many hats, which is why she was so exhausted before she died. Um, she worked so hard. She worked like an absolute dog. Um, and Michael just seemed to take advantage of that and kind of swan through his life. <laughs> I know he's written a couple of books, but um, he really wasn't he really wasn't doing that much. And she was just slogging it right. out of work, trying to make ends meet. They were struggling financially, even though they have this big, incredible kind of estate-like property, they could barely afford things. And she was just working her guts out. Um, and and her job was becoming, you know, somewhat unstable for her. She had a pretty high up position. Right. And um, they, the company lost a lot of money. And so she became quite vulnerable at work. And that, you know, just her job, there was a lot of fear involved that she was going to lose her job. And in fact, they did, they, have a, they had a big financial loss when her pension was gone. And that, that, that is hugely stressful. All of these things, she had a physical injury, she had all that instability at work. She had stress with the kids. She was just the, she was the glue. She was the heart and she was the responsible one and she was the worker bee and she she actually didn't have much support herself. You know, it wasn't an equal partnership. There was a huge imbalance there in terms of contributing to the whole of the family community. I, as a mother and worker and partner, um, have learnt over the years that self-care is actually the answer. If you can take care of yourself, then you can take care of everybody else. And Kathleen doesn't even have that opportunity. She doesn't have time to come up for air to even think about herself. So, right. um, yeah, there's a bit of drinking to self-medicate. There's some pill popping for pain and potentially beyond that. I think she's just trying to self-soothe in all the wrong ways. And, and that, that deep fatigue, like it's just a recipe for disaster. Well, in episode one, they're at the empty nest party. They have, you know, a bacchanal selection of wine. Yeah. Everyone's having a good time. And your character just does this dive into the pool. Ah, uh, I think she just wants, there must be a feeling of being trapped in some way. And, you know, when you're feeling that way, you look for an escape. So the drinking is an escape. The pills, you know... I don't know really the extent of what she was taking, but initially it was for physical pain and, and then may have become something else. But it's a party and why wouldn't you want to jump in the pool? And she was feeling happy and she was feeling <laughs> free and she had all her friends there and then it just went horribly wrong. And it'll be an important detail because something that we learn when watching the series that there are no wasted moments. Every detail that happens has some sort of th something that will we'll need to understand later that the neck injury might have a role when we go on in the series about how her ultimate uh, death is perceived. Um, you had said something about the Peterson marriage. Mm -hmm. I understand it's a fictionalized um, depiction, but 
How would you describe the Peterson marriage? I would just love to hear from the Kathleen Peterson character perspective, how you see it. Well, I mean, it really, it was a love story, yes. She very much loved her husband. She really did. She kind of looked up to him. They were, they had fun together. They were very much a team until they weren't, until the shit really hit the fan for her and she didn't have the, the support that she sought. Um, and she realised she was on her own. So uh, I just think it was not an equal partnership and that she was... She was doing all the hard work and he was reaping all the benefits of everything that mm. that she was working at. And she doesn't complain about it. She just gets on with it. She's just the greatest supporter and she doesn't have much of it herself. So as we look into this marriage, it's pretty evident that we see that Michael is keeping secrets. You know, we can tell from the beginning, episode one. And there are these multiple timelines and the narrative sort of plays of what Kathleen knows or doesn't know and staying in the dark about these secrets. Um, how do you approach these versions of Kathleen that you have to play? It just comes down to the writing. That's really it. And I've just got to turn up and try and make it feel real. Um, but as far as the lying and this whole kind of second life that he has that she was or wasn't aware of, you know, if she was aware of it, I'm sure it was a bit stressful. And if she wasn't aware of it, I'm sure it was still a, a lot stressful because you feel that. Even if, it's, if something's not spoken about, if you're living that closely to someone, you'd have to be completely shut down to not kind of energetically feel something a little off, right? So... Was it hard filming Kathleen's death scene on the stairs? I mean, watching it, it appeared to be really challenging both technically and emotionally. We'd know where the blood was on the walls in the staircase. So... We had to kind of, you know, choreograph exactly how I would physically move or, or the, the, the places where I would hit, you know, or touch so that it made sense, physically made sense as to why there were marks on the walls. First of all, we had the most incredible stunt people. So, yeah. you know, they covered the fall and then I would pick it up from when her head hit the wall. I'd hit, uh, my head would hit the wall and then it would continue from there. We'd rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and then we would shoot it without the blood. And then, then I was kind of rigged up with blood and I was connected to these tubes up my leg, up my back, up inside my wig into my head. Um, and because we only really had one go once the blood, I mean, the blood's hard to clean up. I literally had one take. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of pressure, A, because a couple of times I was shooting it in four, at four and five in the morning. There was only one take and also... This is real for Kathleen. Yes. This really happened to this woman. This or similar happened. Either way, she was found in this horrible bloody mess at the bottom of the stairs and this may or may not be how it happened. So I had to just give it my all, make it as honest as possible. Um, I think as I get older, you know, as an actor you get asked quite often, you know, how do you shake it off, how do you let it go? And I'd be like, yeah. that's fine, it's no, it's not, I'm just acting, it's fine, it's fine. And to a certain extent that's true, but actually it wasn't fine. So you're, you're kind of embodying something, whether you're thinking about it or acting it out or it's really happening. I mean, obviously if it's really happening, it's way, way, way worse and probably more intense, but there's a certain amount that you do absorb. So anyway, I just, as I have gotten older, realised that it's really essential to figure out a way to help shake it off, cleanse it out, cut it out, and come back to a kind of grounded sense of self. And have you succeeded in finding that? Have you found that method? Yes, absolutely. That is an essential process of what 
what I need as an actor now. I kind of build it into my, to the structure of a shoot um, to always kind of take time afterwards to try and just kind of, you know, work through what... Right, sure. ..what we've just gone through. My job is to make something feel real and I'm not one of those actors who can just kind of bung it on and pretend. I kind of put myself through the ringer sometimes and it's not something I talk about or it's just something that's felt internally and that's the part I have to take care of. You know, with this particular story, it has captured the imagination of millions of people and I think one of the biggest reasons is because it's still this mystery. Absolutely. I think that is why it's so compelling. Absolutely. But the position you are in as playing Kathleen Peterson is, and maybe this affected your performance or it didn't, I'm wondering if you had to make a decision somewhere in your process to decide what did happen to this woman. No, I don't think that's up to me. I mean, yes, she died. That is horrible. It's a horrible, tragic loss. She was young and she was this vital life force in her family and in her community. Um, and it's tragic. But I think, yeah, the show is successful because we have no clue how she got there still to this day. Ugh. It's really baffling. It's so baffling. And I think that that is inherently what makes it both frustrating and um, and compelling. Not having answers to something this intense is scary. <laughs> sure. So people people want to keep watching and watching and watching, you know, just looking for any little sign to give an answer. And we did the same thing when we were shooting. We were constantly talking amongst ourselves on set. I feel like there is an enormous value in your depiction of Kathleen Peterson. I think it not only gives us another dimension to the story, but I think it is also might help um, other storytellers when they're looking at sort of true crime sagas to incorporate the life of the victim maybe in ways that we haven't seen before, or done before. I don't know. I'm not really into true crime sagas. I'm, that's not my jam. I don't seek them out. But this is just so much more than that. This is, yeah. you know, a heartbreaking story about family and marriage and um, I think any successful story goes beyond the genre that it, people are trying to box it into. I think that's why mm -hmm. they succeed and I, I don't think um, this is any different. I think this this is uncontainable and it's jaw-droppingly good. I mean, I'm not saying that because I'm in it. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> It is. I, it I don't. Is. I don't often do that. I mean, I'm. I'm in it. I'm not. Tr I'm not bragging. I'm, I mean, there are a lot of people in it. There's a lot of amazing work in it. It's so much bigger than me. I, I'm telling you, whether I was in it or not, it is next level good. It's just Antonio, his vision, and everybody involved. The way he was able to assemble all of the right people. Everybody is so good on and off screen. Honestly. Um, and despite its tragic nature, this story, it was a true joy and a true pleasure to work on. It just felt so beautifully collaborative and there was something just so um, special about it. It was right up there for me, one of the best. One last thing I really liked was that you get a sense of the sisters too, that Kathleen has these two sisters and a daughter who will 
divide from the family because they start to believe that Michael is guilty. And seeing that relationship was also really helpful because you see their complicated dynamic. It must have been so infuriating for them watching this go down, watching this whole thing go down. I mean, it just must have been... I mean, it would take over your life. It would absolutely overshadow everything else. So when I think about people watching this, you know, family members or people who are involved, I actually think about those sisters the most. And I just, I don't know, I hope that they feel like there's some real representation for the person they loved. Oh, my God, still, I don't know why I feel like crying love. right now. Me too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm so moved by this. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. I mean, I think this is about giving the voiceless a voice. This, I mean, the documentary was made, but this is now inclusive of Kathleen, and this is now a much more kind of balanced interpretation of what may have happened, and she is really very much a part of it. I hope I did Kathleen justice wherever she is. I hope she feels good about it. Um, but also I really think about her sisters and how it may or may not help them to just have Kathleen have a voice and be represented and seen as a, as a whole human and not just someone at the bottom of the staircase who's a victim who's been objectified for years. Look, I, I obviously I, I couldn't speculate on that, but I would say that the thing that they seem to have wanted, at least publicly, is representation of how she felt, the truth of that marriage and that relationship, and a perspective that she was a wonderful woman that everybody loved, and you have certainly achieved that. Oh, my God, I love you for saying that. Thank you. I... So appreciate your honesty and your and your time, Tony. This has been a wonderful conversation. Oh, for me too. I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Antonio Campos and Tony Collette for joining us today. In our next episode, we'll speak with series co-showrunner Maggie Cohn and investigative journalist James Renner. That episode drops tomorrow. I'm Nancy Miller. The Staircase podcast is produced by HBO Max in conjunction with Campfire Studios in association with High Five Content. Special thanks to Moses Martinez at Loud and Strong Studios and David Urzua at Studio Awesome. The Campfire team includes executive producers Ryan Alexander Steiner, Rebecca Evans, and Ross Dinnerstein. High Five Content's executive producer is Andrew Jacobs. Our senior producer is Brandon Fibbs. Our coordinator is Mary Ald. Editing and mixing by Robbie Carver. Music from the series The Staircase by Danny Bensi and Sonder Yuryans. Legal by Diana Palacios. And a very special thanks to you, our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. So if you like the show and you have a minute, please review and rate this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. It really helps people find the show. You can also stream this podcast on HBO Max. See you next episode.